The following is brought to you by Braided Media and is a particularly special show. From the soundstage of 54 Lights, this episode has been curated with care from Blantyre, Malawi. Regrettably, we meet people in life that we forget. People who, while special, remain miscast as average. Casualties of a life played in fast-forward. Regrettably, too, were ships passing each other in the night, giving the nod to those around us who are ordinary, but might be extra. And regrettably, we are robbed, sometimes willfully, of getting to appreciate the profound lights that brighten our world. Luckily, today's auditory journey is about squashing regrets. About slowing the pace and pushing past superficial collisions and breaking into meaningful ones. Today, we embrace the oral spotlight and lean into the brightness. Now, a warning of sorts that today is not an ordinary day and my next guest is no ordinary Joe. about to meet Dr. Joseph Smith. He's an advocate, a father, a social entrepreneur, and a man whose poise and passion defy labels, just as they do logic. He's designed, defined, and driven Generation Chosen, a nonprofit that's dedicated to elevating youth in underserved communities. He's a public speaker, a community leader, a Harry Jerome Award winner, and a shaper of minds and motivations. Put another way, he's a force for good. My only regret, because you knew that was coming, is that this conversation eventually will end. Good morning, good day, or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is dedicated to elevating black voices through authentically told stories of Africans, African descendants, or allies of the community. For those of you who don't know, my name is Kandwani Mwase, Ethiopian-born, Canadian-raised, and proudly Malawian. I live in the world of business, but find inspiration, energy, and purpose in creative spaces. This show is my passionate pursuit to better understand what shapes and defines culture. It is the manifestation of my curiosity. Without further ramble, let's lean in and listen up to my next episode, No Ordinary Joe. recognize that like oh there's a different level of energy you have to exert in order to always show up and be like thoughtful and considerate and kind at 8 p.m at night after a long day of meetings 
on a Wednesday. There's an emotional toll, but I don't know. I come from good stock. My mom has borne a lot. She held a lot of weight and she still found a way to love on me and take care of me despite her depression and systemic barriers and stuff. It's like, for me, I'm like, my life is so privileged compared to hers. I got to push. And uh, I'm yeah. happy I did. You spoke to me about your mom a little bit before. How profound an impact is she having on your life? Um, I know that she's she's no longer with us in the physical, but in the spiritual, she's obviously around. And um, yeah, how profound an impact has she had on you, Joseph? I cannot properly put it into words. The more I think about it and reflect this summer about you know who my mom was to me and who she was to so many people, the more I. I am just in awe of how close I came to falling through the cracks and how if it wasn't for the precise medicine she gave me, I would not be here. And I mean, she was my therapist. She was the person I'd go to about everything. And she had a way of communicating to me that made me feel empowered. It made me feel like a man. Like she found a way to speak to me where I felt encouraged to like use my voice and affect change in light of my privilege as a man in the world. But she also found a way to help me temper it. She's like, you have these great traits, you have these great qualities, but humility is gonna be your golden ticket. Being gracious is gonna be your golden ticket. Not hoarding power or opportunity over people, but giving it out is gonna be your golden ticket. And just seeing her lead by example and seeing all of her failures too, like the things I'm able to accomplish now are things she wished she could have done herself. And once she started to get to an age where she realized I can't do it, I can't extend myself here, I can't do this thing even though I want to, um, she started realizing that, oh, but it's coming through my son because of the investment she made. I mean, like my mother was a person who, she ensured that the small things felt just as big as the big things she would do. Like after a long day of her being at York University, going to classes and then working at Tim Hortons, literally eight to eight days, finding a moment to purchase oatmeal raisin cookies and give that to me when she saw me at the door. Every single time she came to the door and I'm home, here's the oatmeal raisin cookie that I, I, I love giving you because you always light up when I give it to you. That little attention to detail, it carries over in my life. So I'm very methodical. I'm trying my best to ensure that I'm emotionally intelligent in how I engage with my staff members. Now at two businesses that I have, Anchoring Minds and Generation Chosen, and then all the other people I connect with because there's so much toxicity within our community that is the result of living within hostile environments, right? Anti-Blackness. It's, it's recognizing that how people show up, if it's not always as um, friendly or as inviting as you would like it to be, it could be the result of all these external factors. And she gave me that insight. She helped me realize like, don't measure people just from how they're showing themselves to you right now always keep in mind that there could be familial, family, there could be emotional disturbances, all sorts of things going on. Um, so don't prejudge, try your best to understand rather than you know um, provide a judgment. And it's been reaping dividends for me because that ability to analyze situations based upon that insight or those principles, it means I offer something to clients that's very different from what they're getting anywhere else. I attribute almost every, all of my success, I have to attribute to her, the wherewithal too, the resilience. I think it's funny when you were when you were just talking, speaking about about her. I wrote down this word selflessness. It seems like yeah. she was just yeah. a giving person, and I love the w the way also you articulated about this. You know, taking taking some enjoyment. I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, maybe yeah. poorly, um, of the little things just as well as the big things. Mm -hmm. It seems, Joseph, from the time that I've met you, from the time that I've I've looked <laughs> and researched, 
that is exactly who you are. For people listening, I'll I'll play after this a uh, an um, an interview that I did with Joseph and Na- and Nadia about Generation yeah. Chosen. So you will hear the foundations of Generation Chosen. But that seems to me like it's it's you were making these small, um, intimate yeah. changes within your community Precisely. that maybe weren't getting as loudly right. celebrated, right. but you were doing them. You were committing to them. Yeah. And right. so this this seems yeah. to be something that's very much part of who you yeah. are. How important is it to you that that um, approach continues? You you summarize it so well, my friend. That's why I always like talking to you, um, and you capture the spirit of it and. You know, it's it's in the name of the nonprofit generation chosen. It, it comes from this feeling where I thought my mom had me. We're a single parent household. We're in the middle of what feels like chaos in the 2000s in the community, and yet every single day she woke up and she chose me. She chose to invest in me, and I'm just one person, right? She could have chose to invest in her career as a teacher, where she reaches 30 on a regular basis and just say, let me just overcompensate here, but she chose to invest in me and sacrifice so much for that one investment it really speaks to the philosophy um, upon which I live my life and engage with a lot of things. Like even when Generation Chosen had no money for three years before we got any funding, I was like, if I can just help this one person feel more safe in the world, like the world is something or a place where they deserve to live in, I would have done my job, right? I don't, I'm not in the business of trying to mass produce it. It's like, can I just do it one-to-one on a regular basis and inspire other people to do it for themselves as well? And that's blossomed to where we have like 33 staff members at Generation Chosen. And we added a new program. I don't think I've told you about it, but it's called Remedy. So we're able to give the community free therapy. So there's education through emotional wow. intelligence, financial literacy, civic engagement, and then a women's specific program. But then there's also free therapy. You get to meet with a group therapist, a life coach, and a stylist. So once you've done all that internal work, we give you $500 to work with the stylist so you can change the external. So just... The little things, right? It's yeah, like feel good, look good, all of those. Yeah, little things. And, and it, yeah. Like I might have helped you with the therapy part, but do you feel like when you step out of your house that you can get that job? Yeah. Right? You might have all the confidence in the world now internally, but you might not have the means to show that confidence out. So, um, you're right. It's it's kind of shown itself in all of my different areas of work. There's a there's a high sense of responsibility that I've been trying to impress upon my staff members, and I mean feeling responsible for things that you didn't do, of course, things that predate you by centuries, even (laughs) like feeling that weight of I'm here. I have a short period of time. How do I affect change within my particular realm? Um, Because I do want to see change and I don't want to, I don't want my kids to inherit the same world I inherited. So it's that you have to have a high level of responsibility before you even have kids, before you even have a wife or a partner, just in yourself, what can I do? Because I could die tomorrow. I could pass away in 10 years. What am I leaving for anybody when I leave? That I leave even a good message, right? Even just a, 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 a shoulder for people to cry on if, I, if necessary. Like, what's the memory going to be? Um, so it, it bleeds into everything I do. One person the other day said, Joseph, you're doing so much. I don't want you to, um, to, to die of compassion fatigue or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I respect that. I completely respect that. Burnout's real. I don't know what my threshold is, though. I feel like my threshold's really high. And that could be because of my past experiences as a young man, quite negative, but I learned how to overcome them or seeing my mother go through so much systemically. But my threshold is high. It doesn't mean I don't get tired. But the compassion burnout's interesting because I wouldn't have to exert so much if more people just picked up the mantle, right? And just said, you know what? I got to be just as thoughtful about how I'm engaging with Black folk, non-Black folk, you know, like anybody, 
on yeah. a regular basis to combat these cultural things we've inherited. It's really important what you just said there about how do we keep people from, from avoiding this burnout fatigue? Because all of those people, people who are working, you know, with, for women's rights, who are working for yes. marginalized people, who are working, you know, for indigenous rights, all of those people are standing up in some ways, in some cases, alone. Yep. And it, it is real and it is really damaging if they are not helped, propped up and or joined in one yep. way, shape or form. Exactly. So I love, love, love your approach. Um, yep. One of the things I, I, I know we're, we're tight on time. I could talk to you honestly for days, but I do want to respect you. I want to respect that you, your, your, your time and, um, uh, and, and give you a chance to rest as well. But one of the things that, that struck me, what you said about remedy, um, yeah. I, I would say, you know, maybe, and, and this might be a stereotypical comment, but I think from, at least from the community that I've, I've engaged with, the Black community that I've engaged in, the people of color, mental health or taking care of mental health isn't, yeah. nest, doesn't come easy. Uh, and, yeah. and again, this is not to diminish other communities where it is maybe more accepted and so on and so forth. Right. Um, it's a challenge for all communities, but, but it feels like it's a particularly acute challenge for yeah. people of color. How are you finding that and how important is that for like for Joseph, like that, that remedy continues to blossom? I, a lot of our work around remedy has been to try to demystify the psychoanalytic process for people within community from underserved communities. Um, and the reason why we have to demystify it is because like you said, you know, it's not the norm for individuals from our community to seek out this kind of support or to believe that this kind of support was made for them exclusively. Like you need this too. And I think one of the reasons why is because when your, your station in life seems weak or frail, you don't want to give anybody else outside of you a sense that there's something else weak or frail about you. When you're already walking into rooms and there's this thing that's being projected before you get there about your class or your race, and what inferiorities come with that. You don't wanna give, you wanna show your cards. You wanna hand anybody else any sense that there's something else off with you. And I think that's why some communities thrive when it comes to therapy and some communities don't. And I know for me, I was told after my Greece jail experience um, that I think I told you about when I was 19, I was told like, you know, don't go seek therapy because if you do, you're already a tall black man. They're gonna use it to stigmatize you and separate you out so you won't get the opportunities you want. I was like, holy crap, really? Like, you know, I, but I need this. Like, don't do it. So what, what do you do? You end up swallowing and ingesting all that pain and it mutates, you know, the emotional energy, especially when it's negative, it doesn't just go away. It just becomes something different. And it shows up in other symptoms that you might not be ready to deal with. And it might show up when you're 40 or 50 or whatever it might mean. But um, so a big part of remedy is to help people reconcile the tensions that exist between their own personal perspectives and the world that feels very hostile, right? We're trying to remedy that. The yeah. only way you can remedy that is, is, and that discord and that tension is to get you in front of somebody that has developed practices, strategies, and come up with principles to help them lead a life as a racialized person in a hostile environment. How do you manage that? And how do you move through it um, securely and, and, and in a way that's beneficial to you and people you care about? So all of our therapists in remedy are racialized. We have, everybody's primarily black from continental Africa, Caribbean, North America. We have one Filipino therapist. I'm trying to get uh, a white therapist too, because in underserved communities, I didn't finish, it's not all uh, people yeah. who are black or, or Southeast Asian or whatever it might be. There are people that are poor and they're white. 
I want to make sure everybody gets access to free therapy. Um, but yeah, it's our newest program. And I always wanted to do that from the beginning, but didn't have the resources to do it. And so luckily we've been able to garner that from some corporate sponsorship, but for it to keep going, it's going to require sizable investments by, you know, municipal government, provincial government, but this is the kind of service people needed back in like 2000 when we were dealing with zero tolerance policies in schools, which led to in many respects, the year of the gun, like this is what people need in the nineties when you see like black uproar in Toronto in light of certain anti-racist attacks and things like gang, gang issues and infiltrations is what we needed all those times, but it wasn't there. So, yeah, it, it, you know what, and it, it's, it is incredible. Um, And I want to, I want to maybe pivot to that, that, that comment, the thread about timing. And I think what you just said properly is that sometimes the seeds, uh, the seeds are planted years and decades before. And as you said before, even about the, the, from a therapy perspective, they mutate and they manifest years later, days later, whatever it is in such in in negative ways. Right. And sometimes we, we address the, the, the outcome without realizing, Hey, this, (laughs) the seeds seeds of this good or bad were planted years ago. So I've asked a lot of people who are in your space, this question of timing, it feels like we're at an inflection point in yeah. society. You know, George Floyd is one name among <laughs> just way too many, right? So for me, it's sort of like, I, you know, I, I think of George Floyd, but I think of Breonna Taylor. I think of Ahmed Abri, yeah. like, you know, and the list yeah. is just like, you, you forget because the list yeah. is so long. But I guess that to come back to the question is, do you feel that the time is now that real change, genuine change, authentic change is going to happen? Great question. And I'm excited to talk about it. We've been in something like this in the 20th century where Martin Luther King in the South were trying to advocate for um, Blacks to be able to vote. And in order to get that to go through, something had to be staged. And it was a viral moment, kind of like George Floyd, where a young Black boy um, was photographed by a journalist with a dog trying to bite its stomach out. And the cop let the dog loose, right? It didn't have to because the boy was peacefully protesting. Journalists caught it. It got pushed to suburbia, suburbia's um, television sets. Everybody was in uproar. Then Lyndon Johnson had to, you know, sign this into, into, um, into law that into Blacks law. could vote in itself, right? So like these viral moments, they've been there before. The reason why I think there's more momentum now than in the past is that we don't have just a few good leaders that if they get assassinated, there's a level of disdain and, and um, people are innervated. I think the, the vitriol, the, the anger, the concern is more spread out in North America, at least. And I think it's also reaching to all sorts of heights across Europe and mm-hmm. continental Africa and Asia. So what, what I think is that we don't have one or two people that we're looking at as like, that's the person that's going to bring us to the promised land. It's a variety of people, collectives, nonprofits, charities, groups, movements, slogans, hashtags that are getting used online um, that are keeping the conversation going and keeping it in the front of our minds. The only issue though, is that when you have such a more profound solution to the issue with more people talking about it, you're also gonna have a more profound enemy to combat that. So the very same social media outlets we're using to keep the conversation going are being used by opposers in their echo chambers to stymie that growth. So it's something unlike Martin Luther King or uh, Malcolm X ever had to contend with. And so we're going to have to figure out if this is going to sustain itself, how are we going to deal with those who are on the ideological margins of progressive thinking? 
that's something we don't always account for when we're doing learning sessions and teaching sessions because you don't want to further marginalize somebody or make them feel like, oh yeah, your concern or critique about this small area of DEI isn't valid. If you keep doing that, we'll have a larger enemy to fight. The compassionate side of Joseph, which mm -hmm. is very acutely aware of these things, mm -hmm. where does that come from? How do, how, do you, how do you maybe counsel people to tap into that side of it? Because you, 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 we need to create more Josephs. And, uh, and I, uh, you know what I mean? Like we need to be creating more, yeah. more not so average Joes, which is uh, for people listening. It's, it's the website you have to go and listen to to, to book Joseph, uh, hear about what he's doing. But, but please go ahead. It's definitely twofold. My mother, of course, hearing yeah. her. Okay, mm. when I was really young, when I wanted something, she would ask me, Give me five, she say, give me five reasons for why you deserve it. And I have to think through why I deserve this thing five times. She then extended it to 10 times because I was getting quicker at doing the five when I really wanted something. She also reversed that logic into thinking about how I hear other people's stories, how I hear other people's experiences to where she would say, well, give me four reasons why you think that person said that to you at school today. Give me seven reasons why you think they did that thing to you. And I'll be forced to try to understand from their perspective what it is that's happening so I don't just sit with the grievance, right? Yeah. Oh, you hit me or you took this from me. It's because you're wrong and I'm a victim. She's like, no, well, let's think about it. It's more complex than that. Add that to my supervisors um, during my PhD and the kind of readings that they put me through and the way they would cross-examine my ideas and stuff like that. I started to really learn more about the implications of my thought. So you know, how is it landing? How is it sitting with the person? What are the potential ramifications of saying this thing that way? What are the potential implications of showing this thing at this time on this day? It's that attention to detail, that real concern for how, how is this going to emotionally sit with you once I'm no longer in your face? And then I also got to grow up watching a lot of eras, right? I got to see Obama do something incredibly remarkable preaching hope and, and, and preaching optimism. And at the same time, while all that's going on, there is this underbelly in American society developing up mm. of far right leaning individuals who are just frustrated and don't care anymore. So right after you get this amazing tenure, you get the flip. That's the concern I have. So how is it when we have the, the, the listening ears of the masses, we ensure that we don't create those fringes. Yeah. And, and, and it's really being thoughtful about that. How can people participate? Mm, very good question. There's three ways I, I always express people when I do my speaking engagements about how we are all complicit or um, not complicit in sustaining structures we don't agree to. Who are you voting for? Where are you working? And what are you spending your money on? Who are you voting for is obvious, right? The people you vote for, they get put in power, they create policies, that's structural problems if they don't create the right policies. Where you work, that's institutional. You're contributing your time to building a brand that might not have the most accommodating or psychologically safe culture. So what are you actually doing? You're increasing the reach of something that is toxic at its core. So if you're not working to change the workplace, you're showing up and clocking in and clocking out. You know, you might be setting yourself up for your kids working at the same place and not having a great time. And then what products are you buying, right? If you talk about economically investing in communities that have been marginalized, you need to be intentional with your dollar. Where are you putting your money? Because your, your dollar is power and it can alter um, the way in which brands are marketing, the way in which they're produce, producing products. I, have, I do work with like L'Oreal and other companies and they're trying to figure out 
how are we how are we engaging our racialized folks do they feel that they are welcome in this space and if the commentary is no then you know there's two ways this can go stop buying their products boycott it and they continue on or you reframe like you change your marketing approach you change the way you're appealing you change your product line so that they can purchase something that they're happy with but we have power as consumers to change and alter how companies function in that way so if you want to participate you got to be conscious of where you're spending your money who you're influencing right where you're spending your time work mm -hmm. and who you're voting for Joseph, there are going to be people who listen to, to, to you speak um, for the first time, for the 10th time, for the 20th time. They will want to support you. They will want to support um, all of the different businesses, that, ventures that you're yeah. doing beyond those intentional moments, which I think are really important. Where can they go? Yeah, so you can go to my website, um, drjosephjsmith.ca. Uh, they can go to my Instagram um, at drjosephjsmith. And what they'll find is the key things I'm involved in. So my, my work with LifeWorks or Manon Chappelle, my work as an educator with the TDSB um, and also with universities, and then my work with FFBC, Foundation for Black Communities, which yeah. pretty much is housing a database of B3 organizations across Canada because we're trying to grant to those organizations. So you could figure out who are, who are the people building institutions in their community that I want to get behind. And once you find out those people in your local respective provinces, whatever it might be, you can support them financially or with your time. Yeah. OBVC, which is the political nonprofit I work for, we're engaging with government all the time. We're trying to get people within our community more civically engaged so they can have access to that power and, and determine how policies uh, manifest. And so those are some of the things Generation Chosen, youth organization, mental health is the focus, emotional intelligence as well. There's so much ways and you'll see that all on my Instagram or my website. So last question I have for you, man, is one of the things that I've really loved about every time I get to speak to you and, you know, follow you on Instagram is your energy, your approach. It's very thoughtful. It's very intentional, but you also have, you always seem to be smiling and ready to <laughs> smile. You, you seem ready to smile. You know what I mean? So yeah. I typically yeah. ask these questions of, and, and I think it might be even in the interview that follows about like, okay, pick <laughs> this, pick that, where'd you go on vacation, all that stuff. Oh, um, but I'm, yeah. And so I, I kind of do that typically, but I'm going to go a different route here and just say, Joseph, where do you find your smile? Ooh. Ooh. Oh gosh. Okay. So I get it from my mom. Cause she was a, a consistent smiler, but really it's my daughter. Um, I've been sleep training her over the last couple of weeks and we've been bonding more so than we ever have before. And she's sleep just training so has led to a smile. You, right. I know it's been <laughs> hell. It's been hell. But then there's these moments where like we're so close and she's just smiling and like giggling and she feels safe. And I'm like, I made her feel safe. Like I didn't grow up feeling safe all the time. Like I feel special with this. Right. right. Um, my wife, like we have great conversations. We're film people. So like we love watching film and TV and critique and analyzing it and stuff. That's my pastime. And uh, I have a lot of fun with, with my family and my friends. Um, but I, I'm really just excited about life, man. Like I, I don't even know how to say it. I'm just genuinely excited about living and progressing and growing. And I know my time is short. I've been very conscious of time from my childhood because of the people I saw come and go so quick. And so every day above ground for me, it's like, it's a blessing. And um, I want people to live that blessing as well.
So there you have it. The conversation continues. Part of this show was recorded and produced at Culturelight Studios in Blantyre, Malawi. Music for today's episode was composed, played, and enjoyed, with permission, by my dear friends at Multiformats. I want to take a special moment to thank my guest, Dr. Joseph Smith, for all he's giving to the community, for all he gave to me at a very, very busy time, and for all that he's doing and will do. Joseph, we are in your corner, and you are nothing but miraculous. If you like what you've heard, there's more. You can find us wherever you do your listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many, many more. Be sure to subscribe and to share with your friends and family alike. And of course, if you enjoy some social sprinkled in with your experience, please follow us on Instagram under our handle, Crowd54. Listen, like, and share. This is your privileged host, Kandwani Mwase, speaking live and direct from Blantyre, Malawi. Until we meet again, thank you for listening.